is the Cloud Now Podcast, your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to another reInvent special from Cloud Out. My name is Andreas. And my name is Michael. And we are thrilled to summarize the announcements from Werner's keynote. You can watch to our recap on YouTube or you can listen to the show on our Cloud Out podcast. As you know, Amazon Web Service is changing rapidly. Not only during reInvent, also during uh, basically all uh, over the year. And if you want to stay up to date, you can subscribe to our newsletter on cloudonout.io to get the latest news about AWS to stay ahead of the game. You will find all the links in uh, the show notes and in the video description if you are watching on YouTube. So, Andreas, what is your impression of the keynote? So, what's the overall impression that you have from Werner's yeah. keynote? Yeah, Michael. So, I think... It was a very typical Werner keynote from my experience. So because there was a lot of storytelling. So uh, Werner was talking about how developers build stuff on AWS. So this was, I would say, this is his natural topic that he's doing a keynote. I would say over the last years, this was always more or less the topic that he was talking about. Um, so this was no, not really different this year, that there was the storytelling. So he was biking around uh, the city and stuff like that. So it, I think they're doing a great job of storytelling there. It's, it's, uh, it feels very natural. And Werner is a, a sympathetic guy. So I really like him. And, and I think everyone does, actually. So, so I enjoyed that very much. So uh, from that perspective, the keynote was um, yeah, was very well done from, from my point of view. Uh, yeah. What do you think about it in general? I agree. I think it was like much easier to vo to watch it and to listen it and to kind of uh, not wander around in other directions like opening uh, Twitter and stuff like that. So it was really cool, mm -hmm. um, like easy to to watch and and still. I mean, he's kind of the developer's best friend, right? So um, he does all these yeah. um, stories and and tells mm -hmm. us what we should do, and then kind of reality um, kind of uh, kicks in, and 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 you have to do all that stuff, and it it takes a lot of time, and so but. It is definitely an inspiring uh, talk, and it is it is always cool to to listen to him. So I agree. So I appreciated uh, the keynote, and it was a really great show. So Andreas, so may maybe it's also Michael. Maybe Michael, this is because also. So I think it's also because we are the target audience for that keynote, really. So it is for developers. Uh, so it's really targeted for us. There's no not much business talk in there. There's no much. Um, of all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's probably also why we like that keynote typically very much. So yeah. um, that's definitely the thing. So Michael, um, there were a few announcements, not too many. That's also typical for Werner's keynote that there are not too many announcements. I remember a keynote from the last years where there was basically no announcement at all <laughs> at Werner's keynote. But this year we had a little, at least a few of them. Um, and um, I'm excited about a few of them. I think they're very interesting. So Maybe let's just go through them. Um, so what was, what was Werner announcing uh, during his keynote? Yeah, so my favorite, and not because I will use this feature a lot, but uh, lots of our customers will love this feature, it is Cloud Shell. And I, mm -hmm. I looked into Google's cloud a couple of years ago, and one of the first things that I noticed is that there is this little button in the web UI. If you click that, a kind of shell pops up, and you can type in what in Google Cloud is called G Cloud. It's like the AWS CLI. And it just works. It is authenticated with the same credentials than your user. And that is super awesome because all the examples, if you if you click a button, you just opens up the, the shell and it works. And 
When we do an AWS workshops, the first hour usually is spent making sure that everyone has the AWS CLI installed, everyone has credentials, and that's a nightmare. And with Cloud Shell, that goes away. It's now with the click of a button, there pops up a shell, and it works. Yeah, it's even worse, Michael. So unfortunately, many, many people, um, they don't even have access to the internet, right? So they have a proxy or something in front of that. So it really gets hard to interact with the AWS APIs. So that's all solved. You, you go into your browser, you open that shell, and this has a real internet connection. <laughs> so you basically can reach the whole internet without any limitations. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Don't tell the security guys from enterprises. <laughs> they will hate it, <laughs> disable it immediately. Yeah, but, but that's actually, yeah, you can basically work from there. That's really cool, yeah. Um, yeah, so Michael, um, so did you try out the Cloud Shell already? So what was your first impression about it? So how does it work? And what's the feeling? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I tried it. Uh, so basically, there is now in the, like, if you open the management console at the top right, there is a little icon. And if you click that, uh, it opens up. And for me, it took, I think it took around one minute until it was um, mm. prepared, the environment. And then you can just, I mean, I typed AWS S3 LS and it listed all my buckets. So that was working. Mm. Um, a couple of details to add here is, so first, you can access the internet, as you mentioned. You cannot at the moment access a VPC. So that's like if you want mm. to access an RDS database, that's not going to work at the moment. But AWS says they're working on it. So it's on their, I think they call it near-term roadmap or something like this. So, I mean, they are aware of the limitation. And in, in AWS, like usual AWS kind of style, they release something, <laughs> a minimal viable product thing. And I think it is definitely mm. better to have internet access than to have VPC access at the beginning. So yeah, <laughs> that, that was the right priority. Um, the credentials mm. inherited from your user that you use in the management console. So that's pretty nice uh, what i expect you get one gigabyte of persistent storage so basically your home directory persists across multiple sessions um i'm not quite mm. sure if one gigabyte is going to be enough so in google for example you get five gigabytes but we will see and i think if that's a limitation i mean aws increase increases is always easier than decrease right so uh, that that shouldn't mm. be a big problem um yeah so what also is nice, um, I mean, remember the days when someone tries to copy a file onto an EC2 instance over SSH, like SCP and stuff. It's always a nightmare. You need keys mm. and all kinds of stuff. And now you can just with the click of a button upload a file into your uh, cloud shell. So that's pretty easy. Um, so that's how it should be. Mm. Uh, I think that's one of the developer-friendly services that AWS released in the past. Um, so that's pretty cool. So what do you think? So are there any other details to add here, Andreas? I think you did some research as well. Yeah. So, so also, by the way, the other way works as well. You can also download files from your cloud shell. So this could be useful if you have, I don't know, some uh, debug data that you want to download and to uh, work further with or, or something like that. So that's basically um, very interesting. Uh, also, if you, the same thing, if you are in a very limited network environment, a very limited, um, uh, if you have a very limited machine for yourself, that could be very helpful to work around some of those limitations, basically. And um, yeah, the other thing, so um, besides the one gigabyte persisted home directory, um, there's about, I would say, I think, it, I mean, if I remember correctly, it was about 15 gigabytes of a thermal storage that, that the Amazon Linux 2 that boots up comes with. So you have the ability to install additional software. So there is a lot pre-installed, so of course, the AWS CLI, but there's also Node, um, install there are JQ some yeah some tooling installed as well, um, but you can install additional stuff over YAM uh, as well. Uh, but but you have to know this is then only ephemeral because yeah it's everything that is not installed into your home directory will disappear uh, at the next boot. So 
So that's what you have to deal with here. Um, and the first thing I tried is I tried to install Docker <laughs> because that would be really cool from, from my perspective if I could also do a Docker build or something there and push it directly to ECR without the limitation of having a very flaky internet connection to upload my images and stuff like that. Uh, but unfortunately, um, Docker is not supported. Uh, of course, that's probably because the way they um, virtualize that thing. Uh, so yeah, at the moment, at least Docker is not supported. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, okay, maybe that comes in the future, maybe not. I don't, I don't know if that's really the focus of that. I think the main focus is you can use the AWS CLI from there. Uh, Git is pre-installed, that's, that's cool. So you could also check out your uh, dot .files from a Git repository and just um, uh, get it there and have your environment set up uh, like that, maybe also in different AWS accounts, because what you need to keep in mind is whenever you assume another IAM role or log in with another IAM user, you have to prepare your Cloud Shell environment from, uh, from the beginning. So I don't know if you have multiple AWS accounts, for example, in each account, in each region with every EM role that you use, you need to do the same thing. So that, yeah, it would be helpful to, to automate that a little bit. Um, yeah. Maybe um, one other thing that comes to my mind regarding cloud shell. So you, so you already, uh, you know, Michael, I'm excited about that. So, <laughs> so one other thing is, um, you um, think it's very useful if you work for multiple clients as a consultant, as we do. So oftentimes I have a little bit of the problem. I have to set up uh, the environment for each of our customers, each of our consulting clients on my local machine. I need credentials that's all stored on my machine. And if possible, I wouldn't. <laughs> have that everything on my machine so that could be another use case if you jump a lot into different accounts from different customers you just have your environments there prepared and ready to use so that's another uh, interesting use case i would say yeah yeah so that's what i um what i've uh, experienced when using cloud Shell. i think the the overall experience is quite good so yeah happy about that and uh, we didn't mention that but it's free uh, free to use. Uh, uh, each uh, you can you can get this uh, for free, so that's really cool. Yeah. So just one thing to keep in mind here: you cannot use this as a web server. So that's not the way to have a free web server on AWS. You cannot expose <laughs> a port to the internet. It's not going to work. Um, so one other thing sure. I wanted to mention is um, in in Google's cloud shell, you can actually do Docker build. So I mm -hmm. I and I mean it is useful because in many examples you have to do that. Sure. So let's see if that might be added. Mm. So, Andreas, yeah, that's a cool, cool feature. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so, but what else was going on? So, um, what is the the, the other uh, feature that you liked that uh, Werner uh, announced? Okay, so another thing that that Werner talked about, I think it was actually announced a few days ago already. Um, um, this was the VPC reachability analyzer. And um, so this is a, basically a, a, a small, I would say it's a tool that you can use to check whether a certain uh, connection, network connection from one point in your VPC to another point in your VPC is possible. It basically checks if there uh, is a, a, yeah, if there's a routing entry in the routing table for that, if there is uh, network connectivity with all the security groups and uh, access control lists. It basically checks all of that and that can be, I think, helpful for debugging issues. Uh, if for some reason uh, a packet does not go between two instances or between an instance and your database, you can basically check what's, what's, on, what's going on there. So I find that quite interesting. Um, could definitely be helpful because all we had before is actually, so what I did always, I used VPC flow logs 
to check if a package was rejected somewhere, but then you didn't know where. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's that's really a, a nice little feature um, that you can use to debug issues with your network configuration. So I like that. Uh, it's available right now. You can just use it. Uh, it's it's available. I think it's available in all regions as, as far as I know, general available. Um, so that was another cool thing. A little thing, but but helpful addition. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, it makes debugging much easier. And I, I tested it out. It also comes up with pretty good explanations of why it's not working. So it's not just, it's mm -hmm. like a kind of, yes, it works. No, it doesn't work. It also, no, it doesn't work because of that's the reason why it's not working. So for example, the security group doesn't allow the ingress or there's a missing route or something like that. And it it, it mm -hmm. integrates with all those VPC features like transit gateways and all that stuff. So it, it really, it, it looks like a, a feature mm -hmm. that just works in any case and not just in these like mm -hmm. 10 out of 20 <laughs> cases or something like this. So it, it's just, it works. Yeah. So let's see how it, this it's turns out. It's not something out. like the IAM, it's, it's not the IAM policy simulator. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a real tool that you can use. Yeah, very cool. Okay, Michael. Um, so what else is on your list about the announcement that you wrote down from the keynote? Yeah, so there was one announcement that is kind of, uh, there's not much information about it. Um, it. It was announced as the Fault Injection Simulator or FIS for short. It is announced to be, mm. I mean, there's no, no, not a lot of information. It kind of will appear next year. We don't know if it will appear in preview or it will be available in 2021, but <laughs> we don't know. But the cool thing is it uh, it will kind of inject like faults into our environments and that's like the term that is behind that is chaos engineering kind of i think it was kind mm. of like with the chaos monkey from netflix so basically the, the idea mm. is that if you don't run tens or like thousands of ec2 instances then it is actually the chances that you observe a fault is very low and with chaos engineering you can just increase the probability that something goes wrong to like a level that you define so for example you can say 10% of my instances should kind of fail. And then the the tool will kind of do that. And you can simulate different kinds of problems. So for example, and this is kind of from, again, from now from the uh, fault injection simulator FAQ, they are already there. So you could uh, inject things like um, API uh, rate limits uh, was mentioned. And I think you can inject network uh, connectivity problems. You can inject high CPU usage on an EC2 instance and all kinds of, of things. Um, but it is not completely clear when AWS actually will support when they launch it, but that's kind of the space that, that is possible. So what you also get with the fault injection simulator is that you have very tight controls when the faults will be injected and also when the experiment is stopped. So for example, if you, like for the first time, try this out, it is very likely that your system is not going to behave as expected. And then you can say, okay, if this CloudWatch alarm goes off, then just terminate the experiment and roll back this faulty thing. Uh, so go back to normal. Then in kind of work on the problems and then try again. And that sounds very cool. But I mean, yeah, we don't really know. And I also looked into some of the details. So how does it work? Um, so there are experiments or kind of fault scenarios that can be injected by the service itself. And then there are some uh, faults that are injected by an agent. And this kind of seems to integrate with the SSM agent. So it might be just an SSM document that is executed or something like that. But if you use SSM and the SSM agent is installed, then you you seem to be prepared for the fault injection simulator service that might come uh, to us next year. So that's, <laughs> and I think that's all the information we have, right? Do you have anything else, Andreas, about this service? Have you found something? 
No, no, that, that's basically all we know about it. Uh, I haven't heard anything else about it. So yeah, that's, that's a typical uh, pre-announcement at reInvent. So yeah, we don't know nothing about it. Uh, let's see when it is really available. Um, so yeah, definitely cool that they're working on, on something like that. But um, I think what is, from my perspective, it's what is missing a little bit is um, coverage for all those serverless um, services. Um, so I don't know, Lambda, Kinesis, S3, all of that, that would be really helpful as well. But yeah, let's see how this improves over time. Um, so definitely interesting uh, to see that coming. Uh, okay, Michael, so I have two more announcements on my list and they have something in common. Um, so let's do okay. that, right? Yeah, so I, I think I know what you are going to talk about, Andreas. Um, because <laughs> it seems to be that we have like a, or no, it's not available, it's in preview, but we are getting an alternative to CloudWatch metrics. So is this the announcements mm. you talk about, Andreas? Absolutely, Michael, yeah. So um, the service name is really cool. <laughs> so it's called Amazon Managed Service for Prometheus. <laughs> AMP in, in short. And so this is um, the open source project Prometheus as a service. So this is a monitoring system and a time series database combined in one open source product. And you can get that as a service from AWS as well. It is a very popular thing, uh, especially if you're coming from uh, a Kubernetes stack. Uh, so there it's very common to have that in place for uh, monitoring all your containers and everything that relates to your cluster. Um, it's cool to have that as a managed service because, as always, if you have something that has to keep state, <laughs> if you have storage <laughs> involved, it's better to have that as a managed service than to do that on your own. That's that's what I at least that's my my point of view of, of all of these uh, things. So it's it's cool to have that as a service. And as you said, yeah, this is a competitor basically to CloudWatch um, because you can you can do similar things. You have metrics, you have alarms, so it's really. Um, something uh, that, that is definitely targeting the same uh, area. Um, uh, what is interesting about it? I would say one interesting aspect of the Prometheus uh, managed service is the pricing model. This is really cool because I would call it cloud native. So you don't pay for an instance that runs 24-7 or something like that. Instead, you pay really for what you use. So you pay per the metric data that you ingest into the service. Uh, you pay for the storage that you use for those metrics, and then you pay for the queries that you do uh, on the data. So basically, if you do not ingest anything uh, or if you do not query anything, uh, you're not paying uh, anything at all. So that's really cool uh, from my perspective. It is it is similar to what you have with CloudWatch, actually. So there you always pay for, for metrics. But here comes the big but. So I tried to compare the pricing between... Um, CloudWatch metrics, so especially CloudWatch custom metrics here, and um, the Amazon Managed Service for Prometheus. And there are a few interesting aspects here, Michael, that I want to talk about. So the first one is um, with CloudWatch metrics, you pay for each metric. So that's, depending on what you're doing, that can be very painful <laughs> because if you have a lot of metrics for different aspects of your application, um, you just pay for the metrics existing, even if you just, for example, if, even if you add just one metric sample uh, a day, you pay for the metric. So, and that adds up very quickly. So that's interesting because that's not something that is uh, with Prometheus. There you only pay for ingesting data and for the storage that you use. So that's, I think, one important differentiation in the pricing model. And this could be why 
uh, Prometheus could be much much cheaper than <laughs> than CloudWatch actually. Um, the, on the other side, um, uh, it seems to be um, uh, the other in the other direction with CloudWatch uh, when getting the data out of both systems. So if you do that with CloudWatch, uh, you pay a fee for each get. A request you do to your CloudWatch metrics to get the data out. For example, if you, I don't know, want to have that in a third-party system for monitoring, uh, you pay for that. But if, in the example that I calculated, um, I think it's it gets much more expensive with uh, the Prometheus service here, especially if you have to do a lot of queries. So think about a dashboard with hundreds of metrics in it and you want to uh, pull that, I don't know, every minute or something like that. That can that can add up, uh, and that can um, increase the bill for AMP compared to CloudWatch significantly. So I think it's really hard to decide which one fits best for your use case. I think you really have to do the calculation: um, how many data do we write in? How many data do we need to get out of it? And then you need to calculate basically the costs. And it depends which one is is better for you. But I think that can be huge. Differences. That's that's really interesting. The pricing models really differentiate, uh, differentiate uh, significantly. Yeah. Um, and do you have any thoughts uh, on that, Michael? Yeah, I have a perfect use case where this, where I expect this to be much cheaper than what we do at the moment with CloudWatch. So, and I'm working on this project right this week with a client. So you can uh, imagine they have a large fleet of M3 mediums because M3 mediums on the spot market is the cheapest compute that you can get. It's incredibly cheap. It's really, I, I have, I don't know why it's so cheap, but it's really the cheapest compute available <laughs> on AWS. And they spin up lots mm -hmm. of M3 instances. And when I say lots, it's really, it's a lot. And the, the problem is we need a memory metric and from those instances. And this is not available by default in CloudWatch. So we have to create a custom metric. With, and we use the Cloud for, mm. CloudWatch Unified Agent for that, but that's not a problem. But the problem is we pay $30 per metric, which means per instance. Mm. And this is so expensive compared to the price of the instance. And because we have so many small ones, that is really a significant, mm. it's basically 50% of our costs kind of are from CloudWatch for this workload. And that's, that's insane. Mm. And I mean, if you have mm. a large instance like many cores and so then it doesn't really make a big difference because the instance is expensive itself. So the relative costs for the metric are not that high. But in this case, and with the small instance, the relative costs are so high that it really is, I mean, we, we basically mm. will turn them off now because it's too expensive. Which means we don't have any mm. insights into the memory of the instances, and so and with this system, I mean, we could just put it into those uh, systems, and we don't pay that much there um, compared to CloudWatch. Yeah, so that's a use case that I have, and I'm I'm interested. I mean, it's in preview, so we, we we cannot solve our problem with that because it will take some time until we can use it. But uh, that's definitely something that where the the, the use case would mm. have what would fit to this new um, service. Okay, Andreas. So yes. My understanding is that Prometheus also provides uh, basic capabilities for viewing the metrics and kind of like a look at, at the data, but there's a service that is much better at that. And this service is called Grafana. It's also an open source project. And this is the second service that is announced. It's in preview, so you can sign up for it. Um, it's called Amazon Managed Service for Grafana. And the abbreviation is AMG. 
Yes, <laughs> and the the funny thing is, <laughs> so AMG. So we are from from Germany, and AMG in Germany <laughs> is 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 fast cars basically. It's <laughs> a so racing cars, something like yes. that. But okay. So in this case, it's Grafana, and yeah, as you said, uh, so Grafana is an open source project, and it basically what it does is it visualizes uh, metric data. You can also even do uh, log data, by the way. So you have all the stuff, uh, graphs, heat maps, all kinds of visualizations. You can create dashboards to share that with your team or with others to look at the data. Grafana also has an alerting system. So something Prometheus comes in, uh, comes with as well, but you can also define alerts with Grafana. And uh, I think the, the main selling point of Grafana, besides a very fancy user interface, I would say, is that it integrates with a lot of data sources. So you can fetch the data from, for example, Graphite, InfluxDB, Prometheus, so that's the other series that iOS announced, Elasticsearch, CloudWatch, and many more. Uh, so basically, you can integrate all that different data sources and build one view upon all of that. So that's, that's, that's the cool thing here. Um, it's really for, for monitoring purposes, I would say. So it's for yeah, monitoring systems, monitoring applications, stuff like that. This is um, what this is designed for. Uh, I think that's really um, an interesting uh, thing. And I, I've seen um, customers um, rolling that out on, for themselves. Uh, you had to, of course, operate that um, yourself. And now this is a managed service from AWS as well. And there's, there's one interesting aspect from the... So I think there, in the past, we had those discussions about AWS. They just pick open source software, build a service out of that, and make a lot of money with it, right? So I think we all know that story from Elasticsearch. So um, I think probably the, the Elastic, the company behind Elasticsearch, is not too happy uh, about it, what AWS is doing there because they just forked their project. They're doing their open, I don't know, open distro, Elasticsearch, however they call it. And I think this is, I would say, from my, from my perspective, from my feeling, this is not really fair what they're doing there. They just, yeah, it's legal, but it's not really fair, I would say. Um, on the other side, what they're doing with Grafana, this is interesting because they, now they offer Grafana as a service, um, but you can unlock additional features. So you can get Grafana Enterprise. And basically, this is an, something you can just with a click of a button enable for, for your Grafana on AWS. And um, this is going over the AWS Marketplace. And as far as I understand, the company behind Grafana gets the money from that part. So I think that's a very fair model. That's, I, would, <laughs> I would love to see that for other open source projects as well, Elasticsearch, for example, and others, uh, so that they share some of the money they make with the open source software with the company that is uh, basically maintaining all that stuff. So that's, I think that's cool. Uh, I like that. Um, yeah. So what else uh, did, you, did you notice about Grafana? Um, I agree, Andreas. So that's really, um, I would say, that's a uh, that's a a behavior that we should uh, see more often from AWS. Um, and basically, it is offering the enterprise features of Grafana, which are already a commercial offering from the company behind Grafana, which I think is also called Grafana. And they basically integrate mm. those offerings into their platform. So you can basically get access to the enterprise features with a click of a button, as you mentioned. And that's pretty cool. That's the same what Elastic uh, Search like kind of the the problems with Elasticsearch 
they had some additional features that only uh, enterprise or like paying customers were able to receive. They were not under the Apache tool license. And that's basically what AWS rebuilds with the open distro for uh, Elasticsearch. So in this case, they just rewrite the stuff. And now they kind of have a, a relationship or a partnership with Grafana. Mm. So I don't know mm. how they share mm. the revenue. I don't think that all the money goes to, um, um, to um, Grafana, but that's okay. So we will see how this works out, and I definitely like that as well. So what else have I noticed? So first, there seems to be a kind of, or the pricing works similar than in QuickSight. So you pay for active users, and an active user is a user who uses the tool uh, in the billing month. So for example, if you if you don't use the tool in December, your user will not be charged in December. But if you kind of open it up once, then you will be charged for that user. So I think that's a it's okay pricing model. I mean, it's a little bit different than the others, but it's okay. Um, there are two different kind of roles. Um, so there's the editor, and uh, it's $9 per month. Um, and the editor can, um, I mean, create dashboards. There's also kind of an administrator editor who can, I think, kind of manage permissions of other users. And then there's the viewer. The viewer only looks at the dashboards. And the viewer is $5 a month. And I think that's very similar to, to what QuickSight charges. And what I mm. also think, and I'm not 100% sure because, I mean, it's an, in preview. There's not much documentation about that. There seems to be an like manage user management system on top of what we have with AWS. So you integrate it with AWS SSO, and then you have users in Grafana, and you can add them to groups in Grafana, and you add permissions in Grafana. So it's not using the IAM system. It is kind of a separate mm. system to manage um, permissions. I'm not 100% sure mm. if this is an additional way of doing it or if it's the only way of doing it, but that's something that uh, it might be interesting. So if you're using AWS SSO, and we are rec rec recommending doing that, Andreas, right? You have many um, videos about that. Um, so then it's not a problem, but if you're not yet using AWS SSO, I'm not quite sure if, how easy it is to integrate it. So that's, I think, what I have to add here. I'm really looking forward to try it out. Um, so um, let's see if we get into the preview or not, Andreas. Um, yeah, so, so I think I think that's the that's the announcement that I'm most excited about. So that's some, definitely something I want to get my hands on. So I really want to try that out. Want to see how this works. So we should do an unboxing video. We should write a review about that in the future. So that's definitely on my list. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, anything else? I think this was all the announcements from the keynote already. Or is there anything that we missed? Yeah, I think there have been some, I mean, we picked basically the five most important ones. There was some stuff around uh, Systems Manager. Um, I looked into them. I mean, yeah, if you manage EC2 instances at large scale in a more like traditional way, then you definitely want to check out what, what, what is going on in the SSM service. Um, and there was also, and I think this was not really in the keynote, but like outside of the keynote, kind of in the blocks. And so there was lots of stuff from the IoT service. So if you are mm -hmm. interested in IoT stuff, um, definitely check out all the releases around the IoT service. So there's really lots of stuff going on there. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of the the, the, the other focuses around the, the keynote yesterday, what was going on. So we are still not done with reInvent, Andreas, right? Um, so we, we, we can <laughs> expect more, I think. Uh, so let's see how long it runs at the end and, and what, what, we, what new announcements we will see. But so far... Um, I'm I'm happy, so I have like enough new features to try out, and also enough new features will will be available in the future to try out. So it's not going to get boring, right? Absolutely not. 
Okay, Michael, so let's close this. So um, yeah, thanks for watching uh, to this video or listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this, uh, don't forget to share, review the podcast with a friend or a coworker. Um, like the video or leave a review in the podcast player that you use. And also, if you're interested in more videos from CloudOnout, you should definitely check out CloudOnout Plus because we release a new video every week. We find a link to that in the description and the show notes. So check that out as well. So that's all. Um, this was our second reInvent special. Um, see you. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Bye.